Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I'm so pumped that you're here. Um, As this is coming out, I am in Sonoma at Andy Storch's Talent Development Think Tank Conference, talking all about career blueprinting. I'm so excited about that. And really, really excited because next week is our 100th episode and everything's changing (laughs) in a good way, in a good way. So uh, now that I've been doing this, not only is next week going to be my 100th episode, but next week will also be uh, two years since I've left my full-time role to take the Overnight Trainer uh, full-time and have this be my my full-time gig, y'all know. So a lot to celebrate, a lot of changes happening, a lot of good changes. I really want to be able to support more people, offer more programs, um, create a deeper, stronger community. I'm obsessed with all of you and all of you that are in my world, and I want to be able to just serve you more on a greater scale. And so stay tuned. Next week's episode is going to be uh, of epic proportions because I'm going to walk through everything that's changing, all of the new programming that's happening. Um, I'm also changing the name of this podcast. I am starting a second podcast, so a little bit of a sneak peek there. But with all these changes, I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast episode, The my most favorite, amazing, incredible program Fast Track is going to be retiring. Uh, so it's a very, it's very bittersweet. I know my Fast Trackers are listening and they, they know a lot of the reasons behind that, which I'll share uh, next week as well. But that program is going to be retired, however, um, because there's still people in it and because we're still having so much fun there. Um, I am keeping enrollment open until the end of this week. So we're talking Sunday the, look at my calendar. I know y'all love that. I'm just like, never prepared. Um, there we go. Um, Sunday, I think it's the 26th. Yeah. So Sunday, the 26th is when enrollment for Fast Track ends forever. So if you have been sitting on the fence, you've been thinking about it, you've been eyeing it, now is the time to hop into the program. You'll have access to me through the end of May, which is so exciting. So you actually get a little bit of extra bonus time in there. Uh, by signing up before um, uh, Sunday the 26th. And again, Fast Track, if you're like new here, you've never heard of Fast Track before, it's my program to help you find, land, love your dream L&D role in 90 days. So we go through the whole entire process together. We figure out what the right role at the right company looks like for you. We then figure out, okay, how do we market you? So we're talking cover letter, resume, uh, LinkedIn profile, 
portfolio if you need one, how to find out if you need one. So we focus on all of that. We then move into creating your personal brand. So how do you show up in the world? Um, can people find you on LinkedIn? All of those fun things. And of course, interview prep. So making sure that you are prepared for your interviews, you stand out, you are able to articulate your transferable skill set uh, and negotiate your salary, your dream salary. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop on how to find and land your dream L&D role, this is the program for you. Um, and again, it is retiring. So you have until the 26th, February the 26th, to enroll in that program before doors close forever. Uh, so you can get all the information for that program if you go to the overnighttrainer.com slash programs. There's a whole section on Fast Track there. And of course, if you have any specific questions, you can always feel free to DM me on LinkedIn or DM me on Instagram. I'd be more than happy to chat about the program with you. But again, it is ending for good, retiring as of February 26th. So if you want to get in, uh, the last the last hoorah is what I'm calling it. Uh, now is the time to do it. Okay, on to today's episode. I am so excited to welcome Meredith Fish to the podcast. Y'all, her energy is just incredible. I know you're going to be as obsessed with her as I am. Uh, Meredith has 19 years of experience identifying and developing potential in others. And what, what really stands out to me is Meredith has really learned her fair share of valuable lessons, but one stands out above the rest, that companies need to be more human. She focuses on weaving empowerment, belonging, and engagement in every single fiber of the employee experience. And as we talk today, you can just hear that radiate out of her. That is that is so so to her core. Um, she's currently the VP of People and Culture at WorkRamp, and she combines her invaluable experience with the insights WorkRamp has learned. Uh, while they've been building an award-winning culture, as she sets out to help other organizations unlock the infinite power of lifelong learning and leading with heart. Like I said, I know you all are going to be as obsessed with Meredith as I am. She is so incredible. Her energy is amazing, and she has so much to give uh, in this episode. So we talk about everything from motherhood to mental health to L&D being an, or not being the silver bullet. Uh, there are so many directions that we go in this episode, but one thing is clear is that Meredith is incredible and I know y'all are going to love her. So without further ado, welcome Meredith to the podcast. Meredith Fish, welcome to the Overnight Trainer podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. You know, uh, I've had so many great guests on the on the show recently too, and I'm really, really excited for us to have a conversation because you have such a a really beautiful, extensive career, not only in just learning and development, but in HR, that, that more like holistic HR career. So I'm really, really excited to talk about that, especially too, because you've worked in so many different industries. Uh, it's a question I get asked all the time around like, you know, mm -hmm. HR, do I have to be industry specific? And what I love about your journey and your path is that your career has spanned over all different types of industries. So I'd <laughs> love for you to tell us a little about you, your journey yeah. into the L&D HR world, um, talk through maybe those industries a little bit too, and yeah. then what? where are you now and what has led you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, so I totally landed in HR organically. I was a journalism major of all things, which has been super helpful as yeah. I've done some <laughs> business writing along the way. But I had to do several internships prior to graduation, and my friends were teasing me. There was an internship at Neiman Marcus. Loved a shop. Yeah. Loved luxury goods. <laughs> They're like, hey, you should just knock an internship out and do it there. 
So I did. And essentially what my role was, was running the holiday store. And part of that was hiring. So I did, you know, like a little hiring fair and the HR leader at the time was observing me and she said, I really think you should join my team. You should be in HR. You seem to have a knack for this. And it was my last year in college. I was like, a job? Yes, please. <laughs> sure. Sign so up. I took an opportunity as her HR coordinator um, and finished out my last year of school. So through that, how it kind of took all these different twists and turns, we were implementing a new register system of all things. And I was learning it because I trained, you know, the, the folks who were joining us. And I decided that there could be a better way that we could do it. And I made one pagers and suddenly it got up to corporate. And all of a sudden I became like a regional trainer. So I got to go, you know, here I am. a You became an overnight, an overnight trainer. I literally <laughs> became an overnight trainer. So I was going to different stores and meeting new people and my love for it really just blossomed there. And I really never looked back. I love being an HR professional, an L&D professional, whatever it calls for that particular day. And the reason that my journey has been eclectic, I guess, is that all my roles have been through referrals. So moving into financial services, it was a referral from a friend at college where she had come to me for HR advice and she said, oh, I think you're pretty good at this. We have this opening and a little, a little test, a little test. Yeah, it was, it was kind of cool, you know? So I got into financial services and what I loved about that industry is that it's so structured and you create repeatable processes and you really have to analyze and think about your stakeholders. So I learned a lot about all those things there. I also learned that I am not great about being, you know, super, super polished and on all the time. I mm. want a little bit more authenticity. So um, from there, I was referred to um, go into kind of doing my own little consulting thing for a bit. And then was referred to another role in real estate. And again, there I learned that there's lots of different facets about, you know, the real estate market and hiring and training folks from the uh, office managers, actually managing the facility all the way through our CFO organization. Yeah. So it really exposed me to a wide variety of things and was pretty cool. Like the people in it were great. So definitely recommend, you know, you try all these different things on and then was referred into technology um, and really found that I loved it because it's new, it's different, it's always evolving. However, all of my experiences in the different industries I've taken with me and applied it and it has helped me so much. And I always tell my kids that you should absolutely always have a role in either retail or food service before you um, really kind of get settled into your career. Yeah. And I feel like you should be exposed to different industries as you settle in as well. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because I, you know, again, it's a question I get asked all the time around like, do I need to be the subject matter expert in the industry in order to be a really great L&D professional? And you're shaking your head. No. no. Right? And I, <laughs> I, yeah. Right. And I, I, I live and breathe and die by that because I always say L&D, HR, it's industry agnostic, yeah. right? There's going to be things as a byproduct of working in a new industry, you're going to learn things, right? You're going to learn about retail. You're going to learn about real estate. You're going to learn about technology. Like it's just the nature of the beast. You're going to happen to pick that up, but 
it's never a prerequisite. And I always say it's a, like, I always find that it's actually a red flag for me when I see companies preferring or, or going with candidates who have experience in that industry versus experience in learning and development or experience in HR. Exactly. I would rather have someone with life experience who can actually get up there and train intelligently about something and their experiences in a completely different industry or different role just to draw in some real life things. And I think that, you know, you asked me where I am today and leading the people team at WorkRamp, it's been so beneficial because I can relate to some of our struggles of our customers and how we might use our own technology. So it really does benefit you to think about those transferable skills and be able to apply them. Yeah. So having such a wide breadth of experience in all those different facets of HR, where do you see L&D's role fitting into the overall culture and experience of employees inside of an organization? Yeah. First of all, I'm totally biased because I've been Same. in some kind of L&D <laughs> role um, at every organization that it's I've It's the most in. important. <laughs> yes. And I work for an organization that has a fabulous LMS platform. So there's my disclaimer, yes. but I do think it's a critical component because think about your first day, right? Your first day, you're trying to kind of figure out where everything is. You're doing your onboarding. So L&D is a part of that. You know, what is that onboarding experience? What is your training platform like? Is it simple? Is it accessible? Can I go there to learn something that I need to apply to my new role? Um, Excel. I had a boss previously at um, Alteryx where I needed to know Excel. And I was a hot mess in it. (laughs) Could I easily go to our platform and pull up, you know, some kind of training on Excel? And what I see on the other end of HR, right, because we're onboarding, but we're also exiting folks, is that typically they'll note that lack of career development or lack of training are reasons for leaving. So it is such a core component of the overall employee experience. And it's a really key thing to growth. Because what I've seen is that if the L&D department doesn't keep up with the growth of the company and keep pushing employees forward, the company will outpace the employees. Yep. So it's, it's absolutely key to business results as well. Yeah. And we have to keep up. I think that's a really a a key point that you just brought up too, that the world's moving fast. Business is moving fast. Our employees are moving fast. And so we, I actually say too, we actually need to be moving faster than them. Like we, we need to be one step ahead to make sure that we're there to support them when they get to that place. Right. It's like being super, super proactive instead of being reactive too. And it sounds like that's really where L and D can, can fit in and really claim their stake in being that proactive partner in the organization. Absolutely. Having those key relationships with business leaders, with leaders within HR to understand where the business is going and ask them the questions of where, you know, what's around the corner and being able to prepare proactively for that is going to help your organization just exceed expectations. Yeah. And and, and on that same vein too, like where or how have you seen or do you see now, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being in, being in the space, yeah. like where do you see L&D teams being most underutilized and, and how can organizational leaders better utilize their L&D teams? So what I see is that it's kind of an afterthought, right? 
we're going to do this big initiative or we want to expand this skill set. And oh, yeah, I think we're going to need some education around that or enablement instead of bringing the LD team in to begin with. Right. Yeah. So I think that organizations who are most successful, the LD partners have a seat at that table and they're part of the change management process. They're part of the strategic initiatives. And <laughs> I had a former, former company who totally let go of the whole LND team. And they said, okay, Mayor, you're going to be 0.5 um, FTE for LND for an organization of 3000. I was like, cool, wow. cool. <laughs> um, and it was such a missed opportunity because I had no time and there were no common just expectations across the organization, no common concepts, verbiage, all of that. And I think it contributed to an already disjointed culture. And it was really a missed opportunity to drive performance. So those organizations, again, who see LND as a proactive partner are going to be more successful in the long run. Yeah, I love to actually, I jotted it down as you were mm -hmm. you were talking about the idea of change management and mm -hmm. how, uh, and I, I think about that, how L&D is underutilized and, yes. and I see it in that change management piece a lot too, where there's an organizational change yep. and they don't think to bring in the learning leaders, the enablement yep. teams, you know, the talent development, whatever, whatever you're calling it, your organization. And it's such a missed opportunity, like you were saying, because all, all, I feel like all change requires learning mm -hmm. and all learning requires change. Yes. And so if you're not incorporating, if you're not utilizing your learning team, when there is a change and just waiting till you implement the change and it all goes wrong and yep. then you're saying, <laughs> Oh shoot, now we need to train people or educate people. And it's a complete flop, right? That, yep. that change management piece is so, so important. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to highlight that because I think that's a, a big area of opportunity that L&D teams are, are not brought into the, brought into the discussions when there is going to be any organizational change happening. Exactly. And as soon as you catch wind of it, and this is where it's important to have relationships across HR and within the business, insert yourself, you know, raise your hand. I am here to help, you know, here's what we can do in terms of change management. Here's a great model for education, enablement, et cetera. And just insert yourself because um, without going in and showing that value, it's hard to get that seat at the table. Yeah. Pull up a chair. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what I actually, I've seen you, I saw you write about this and uh, I know it's part of your, your bio and kind of your, your personal brand too, around, you know, allowing learners to fail yes. and letting that being a big piece of learning. So how can, and I feel like LND professionals listening to this are like, what do you mean fail? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, how, like, what, like, that's not the point. The point of training them is so they don't fail. Right. So yes. how can LND professionals account for that or build failure into their learning experiences or can they even, yes. um, so I want to ask you that. And then I want to move into the organizational culture piece of it, but yeah, I, my, yeah my question more really is like, how can we as LND professionals account for building failure into the learning experience? Yeah. So first let me explain why <laughs> I'm yeah, all about let's start there. Failure. <laughs> um, so uh, my dad would often teach my sister and I something and he wouldn't help us. And we would say, just help us do this. He's like, no, you have to figure it out on your own. So I think it was just ingrained in me as a child, but I did learn so much that way. And 
I've seen throughout my career where, where I've excelled is when my leaders give me that autonomy and I have that relationship with them in order to try and experiment and figure things out along the way. So I think that failure is important. And the way that we can create that safety in failing, right? No one likes to fail. We all want to think we're totally perfect, but you have to create that safe environment in which to fail, right? And one way that simple way that we do that as L&D leaders and um, practitioners is doing simple things like role plays within a course, Um, experimentation, and just getting that feedback from peers, from the trainers themselves, and just knowing that it's okay, I'm not being graded on this. I'm practicing a new skill, just like riding a bike, roller skates, which I should probably practice more on, Um, (laughs) and all of those different things, you have to try it on for size. So giving that initial safe space, but then how do you create that safe space out in the real world? And part of that, and we'll talk about overall culture in a moment, but part of that is, can you buddy people up from that particular program? Can you give them a mentor within the business where they can go and talk about their experiences and trying this new skill on for size or practice, you know, on within this safe relationship where it's not their boss or somebody who's going to be, and I'm using air quotes, you know, grading them on their performance. Lower, lower, lower stakes. Yeah, exactly. Lower stakes. And um, somewhere where we tried this and it was really successful is that we're rolling a bunch of things out within engineering. And we had a team in the U S and we had a team in Eastern Europe and the we noticed that the um, Eastern Europe team, they were just not comfortable because they were just learning English, practicing it, um, talking about these skills and concepts with their peers in the U.S. So we created a mentor program where they were practicing uh, their not only their English skills, but both sides were then trying on these new skills and concepts. And it built so much better relationships and was really successful. Again, safe. Yeah. And I think that goes into the the culture, right? So how does the organizational culture play into allowing that type of failure to happen? Because I I know personally, you might've experienced it too, where there's cultures where that's, you know, forbidden or you are, you are always being graded. So how, how can the org culture define or help play into allowing that failure to be, to be a norm? Yeah, it's going to be hard, right? In those cultures where it's like must be perfect all the time and we're all robots. However, I think on a team by team basis, it is possible. So it starts with vulnerability, vulnerability of the leader. So sharing, hey, I make mistakes. I tried this out. It didn't work. Um, Because then your employees are going to be more apt to come to you and say, okay, I tried this on for size. Totally didn't work. You know, help me out here. So creating that space where the lines of communication are open, you're not trying to be perfect as a leader, or yeah. you can coach leaders within your organization, don't always have to be perfect. That's really a foundational step. And that's going to help drive innovation. You know, if you're always expected to be perfect, you're not going to experiment and try new things. So I think that's that's a really key element. Yeah. And I love that vulnerability piece. And yeah, looking up to, I think the leaders we look up to the most are the ones who are vulnerable, the ones who aren't, you know, the guru on the top of the mountain, the ones who are maybe just a couple steps ahead of you. And, you know, to say that, hey, I, 
And even share, I made this mistake, yes. right? This is the mistake I made and this is what I learned from it. And I want to share it with you all. So maybe, maybe you don't make this same mistake, but also know that making mistakes are, is, is a part of life, a part of being, you know, a human where we're humans having human yeah. experiences. So I love that, that vulnerability piece too. And it made me think as well that even if on your team, maybe your leader isn't doing that, even mm-hmm. if as an individual contributor, if you have a peer yep. that you're working with, right. That if you can create a safe space, just one-to-one and say, yep. Hey, I like, I messed up on this or, wow, mm-hmm. I made this mistake. I learned from this or, oh, I just found this thing out that'll help us. And, and having, you know, leading without being a, a quote unquote leader, I think yep. is a really important piece too, to be able to create, even create that small micro culture of, of failure and failure being, being celebrated. Absolutely. And then you have that support system too, of, you know, kind of lifting you up because it is hard, you know, to, to fall down and they can offer some experience and ideas. So the next time you'll go out, out there, it'll be successful. So I think that's a really critical element. Yeah. I love that. I think the more, the more to, and you mentioned earlier, as far as even your own career, that Mm -hmm. authenticity piece being so important as well. And so really how can we, I think the more that we can bring authenticity and more that we can bring our whole selves into Mm -hmm. the workplace, the more it creates a culture where we can fail and we can fail fast and we can learn from it. And then that's actually going to propel us to go, to go farther and learning and development. I think we often too, we don't want to fail, right? Because if we fail, we feel like we're failing the organization, but also there is that modeling of, of behavior as well of, you know, She's saying, Hey, we're not perfect either. Right. Even as a trainer, I used to always, you know, early on in my career as a you know facilitator, I used to, I don't know the answer to that. That's a really good <laughs> question. Like I'm going to, I want to know the answer to that too. Right. And I think so many facilitators and it goes back to what you're saying before of like, mm-hmm thinking that they need to be the subject matter expert in every single thing. And it's like, you're here to, you're here to facilitate a conversation. You're yep. here to facilitate a learning experience, whether it's, you know, actual facilitation or you know, just making sure the experience is great. It doesn't mean you have to know everything too. And so we can model that in learning and development of, Hey, I don't know the answer to this. That's a great question. Like let's mm-hmm. figure it out together. Yeah. That's one of my favorite tactics um, is if I'm not quite sure, or I'm just curious to hear what they think, I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, what do you think about that? How would you yeah. solve for that in kind of groups source um, the answer? And of course, you know, no one else get back to them for sure. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I there's no, there's knowledge in the, there's always knowledge yeah. in the room, you know, and it doesn't always have to be ours. And I think exactly. that's a really important piece for L and D to keep in mind as mm-hmm. they're, as we're like, if we're creating, if we're putting up the front that we're perfect and that we yes. make no mistakes, it's really, really hard to then create a learning culture where mistakes are, are welcomed and mistakes mm-hmm. are praised, you know? And, and so I think we also have to lead by example too, is what I'm hearing. That was what I'm hearing yes. us say here. Yes. <laughs> Y'all hear exactly. that, make mistakes and talk about it. <laughs> yep. One thousand percent. <laughs> I love it. Um, one thing too, I've heard you talk about is how, you know, L and D is not a silver bullet and there's just so many different. Yeah things at play when it comes to organizational development and being a good organizational partner. So what is, what is at risk when an organization, and it sounds like you might have been in some of these too, like what's at risk when an organization sees L&D as the silver bullet versus that partner and how can L&D start to shift that mentality or that mindset of the organization? 
Yeah. So it's a little bit about what we discussed before, right? That reactive element and nothing drove me crazier in the past than having an executive come to me and say, okay, the employees aren't doing this. So I want a training. Uh. Cool. Cool. (laughs) So there's already a huge problem and you think this training is going to solve it. And we're both going to be really disappointed. Yeah. So (laughs) why are you bringing me into the disappointment? (laughs) Sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. (laughs) So how I worked through that is first I would set expectations with them. Like, okay, this is not going to solve your problem. Like, let's just be real honest here um, about what realistic expectations are. And then it was a clue to me that I need to build better relationships. So building relationships with HRBPs, with leaders within the business, you need to understand the pain points before they become really painful. And that way you're, again, seat at the table, offering ideas, you're offering complete solutions that include getting leader buy-in, having the right sponsors, getting the commitment from the leaders and the learners before you embark on this endeavor, and then having a better case for the follow-up and the true application of what you're trying to either teach or create or what, whatever it might be. Uh, without all those elements, it's not going to work. And I think leaders have a hard time understanding that because they think they can put, you know, a 30 minute course in front of someone and have all their problems solved. And we all know that's not going to happen. Yeah. And not only does it not work, it backfires, right? It actually causes us to lose momentum because, you know, training is then seen as the punishment. So even then when they want to learn something on their own, or there's a new skill set that, you know, your employees want to learn, training is viewed as the enemy, right? Training is yep. viewed as the, as the, as the punishment. It's the, the slap on the wrist. And it, so it puts, it, it, it really not only does it not move us forward, but it sets the whole organization back when you're, when you, it's like in a way they're trying to make it seem like the silver bullet, but it's actually the scapegoat. It is. I mean, I'm just picturing the visual I have when you said that is a bunch of people in their cubes in the corner, like a timeout corner having to do training. (laughs) Yeah. I just watched, um, I was just, I was talking about this in another episode too. I just watched Matilda uh on Netflix and I'm like, sending them to like Miss Trunkville's office and into the, what's it called? The (laughs) chokey. Like that's your, there's your training, like go in there, you know? And it's like, it doesn't make you want to learn anymore. No. It, it, it it demoralizes people so much when when learning is uh is learning is used as a punishment and like yep. that's learning is all we have. Like if we're not learning, we're not growing, right? So if we start to then weaponize learning, I feel like that's yep. a really you know aggressive word to use. But so many organizations do that. You know, if you don't do this, you're going to have to go to training, and it's it's also like treating our, our, our employees like children, right? If you yeah. don't do this, you're going to have to do that. And then again, it's, you're just setting yourself back and back and back and back. And you're wondering then why people are leaving or why they're mm-hmm. just not getting it. And it has nothing to do with the training itself and everything nope. to do with so many other things other than training. Exactly. And, you know, when they do mark on their exit survey, you know, I'm leaving because of growth opportunities or training. The leader's like, what? We offered training for that. Yeah. But to your point, it felt like compliance training because it was completely after the fact it was after they already needed that information, that skill, et cetera. And there's a huge difference too, between training. I I did a podcast episode uh, recently with um, the founder of a a performance, uh, really talent management program. Um, 
somewhat LMS-like, but mm-hmm. um, Steve Gilman, and it's called One Range. And one of the things we talked mm-hmm. about was like that difference between training and professional development, right? His, yes. his platform's a professional development platform. And we talked about the difference between that. And I think when people are exiting and they're saying, I didn't get training, what they're really saying is I didn't get professional development. Exactly. And what the organization is seeing is like, they took 5,000 hours of compliance uh-huh. courses. What do you mean? You know, but really what they're saying is, I didn't get the professional development I needed to, to, to move up. And again, if I'm not learning, I'm not growing. So yep. they, they didn't feel like they were learning, even though they were getting trained air quotes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There we have, we have some work to do as L and D and HR professionals to again, help build those relationships and really educate on the value that we bring to the table. And don't be afraid, even if you're having a random conversation with an HR business partner or a business leader, you know, listen to them, but also ask like, what could we be doing for you right now? Yeah. I'm going, <laughs> going off script for a second because yeah. what you just said made me think like, are you seeing just in the world that mm-hmm. you're in the connections that you yeah. have, are you seeing that shift happen from, you know, being these like silver bullet order takers mm-hmm. to now really truly being these organizational partners who are truly focused on professional development, not just training? I have seen that. And I think the pandemic had something to do with that because we're moving from attendance cultures, right? Where we go and we march into the office every day with our lunch bags and march out to performance-based cultures where there's hybrid models, there's in the office models, there's completely remote models. So in order to drive those performance-based cultures, there's professional skills, there's development that needs to be done and we're the ones to provide it. So I'm starting to see that evolve and in talking to my friends at smaller companies and bigger companies, they're starting to see that too, where leaders are coming to them and saying, oh gosh, I need you. Um, So take that opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. It's so so interesting that I've been seeing that trend happen too, especially, you know, Mm -hmm. during the, the, well, the beginning of the pandemic, right. It was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And everything's changed, but especially now as like, I I don't, I don't think we're post pandemic yet or whatever, whatever we are right now, (laughs) whatever we are, whatever this weird time in our history is, but you know, what I'm seeing too, is there's so many more opportunities now Mm -hmm. because the organization, the cultures of, of companies themselves are actually seeing okay, these shifts have happened and I have to develop people. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do that, I'm going to lose this, this top talent and they will yep. go somewhere else. And so I I've seen so many more, so many more opportunities for learning professionals, uh, in all, all different areas of mm-hmm. the learning business too. So I, I'm comforted to hear that you're, you're <laughs> seeing that shift happen too, because along with that shift, when, with the shift in perspective and of mm-hmm. what L and D does comes then new opportunities too, right? Uh-huh. So first we have to shift the perspective and then the opportunities follow. And I, I saw that perspective shift start to happen and it's happening more as you're, you're mm-hmm. uh, aligning with as well. And then I'm also seeing these interesting new fun, shall I say, yes, opportunities pop up in, in learning and learning orgs across the world. Absolutely. Now's the time where we can be so creative you know, whether it's, you know, doing a TikTok-esque kind of, you know, short video, you know, it's meeting people where they are. And we have a really unique opportunity to do that right now. Yeah. We got to capitalize it. 
Capitalize Absolutely. on it, not capitalize yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> we so, all knew what you meant. <laughs> yes, capitalize on it. Uh, so in addition to being a superhero L&D and HR exec, you are a mom. We were just talking about your daughter and her dancing yeah. uh, before we before we hit the record button. So I, I've seen you talk a lot about, too, about the struggle of being that perfect mom alongside having a career, uh, battling the pandemic, right? Both those things. You know, and how putting your mental health first really transformed your relationship with both. I'm a huge mental health advocate. Um, in my coaching, we focus a lot on wellness, their health, like how can they show up authentically as themselves? So can you tell us more about like your journey, yeah. that journey to, from being, you know, that having that hold on trying to be the quote unquote perfect mom to really taking ownership of your mental health and, and how that transformed your relationships with your family as well as with your work? Yeah. So, um, and forgive me if I get teary because no, I, I'm going to practice what I preach here, everyone, um, and be really open and vulnerable with you all. So I used to be the, the mom and I guess the professional who, you know, I was trying to do it all. I wanted to have the perfect little house. I was working crazy hours. I was team mom trying to throw the best parties ever. And I used to love it when my neighbors would say, Mare, I don't know how you do it all. This is, you know, we want to be you when we grow up. You're do all these amazing things. Um, meanwhile, in my head, I was struggling so badly with anxiety, depression, and I was falling apart. Yeah. And what was happening behind, you know, behind closed doors is that the physical symptoms were taking over. I was not being as present as a mom. Sure. I was here physically, but I was so exhausted from keeping up the facade every day that I wasn't there. Like I was not emotionally available as much as I should have been or could have been for them. So when the pandemic hit and, you know, and I'm literally sitting in my little desk outside my kids' rooms in a little cubby, um, I really realized how little I knew about like their inner worlds. And it was such a wake up call for me to realize that I was totally misbalanced. I was spending all this time in work, caring so much about what everybody there thought of me, thought of my work product and not as much time really taking care of myself so I could take care of my family. And it got to the point, it got really bad. Um, and so I needed to take time off to really focus on my mental health and in doing so, it allowed me the opportunity not only to heal, but also to heal and rebuild the relationships with my kids, with my husband, shoot, even with my sister. She was like, where the heck have you been, you know, last yeah. five years or whatever. Um, and through that time, I was able to model something better for them. I realized that they were trying to model what I was doing, which was trying to be perfect. And they were miserable. They were anxious. And so you know, over the past two and a half ish plus years where we've worked on it, we've rebuilt, we're not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. I still, you know, need to uh, take a walk now and then <laughs> calm, yeah. the, calm the mind. But overall, I'm really glad that I took that leap. And the way it impacted work is that, again, I put up that same facade with my team. So stepping back and saying, I need help. And I was pretty, I wasn't like, you know, didn't cross any boundaries or anything, but I was honest with them about what was going on. And it allowed them to say, oh my gosh, thank goodness, 
goodness, like I thought there was something wrong with me because I was feeling like this too. So it allowed for a lot more honest conversations, not only with my own team, but across the organization. And again, I realized I was role modeling the wrong behaviors. Yeah. It's like that model, that modeling piece. I was just, Mm -hmm. uh, what you just, what you just talked about reminds me of a client I was just working with. Um, and she was talking about like the stress and anxiety she has and, and the, the, the facade that she's putting up and mm-hmm. wanting to please everyone. I think a lot of that comes from like people yeah. pleasing energy too, right? There's deeper fears of not being wanted. And yeah. there's a lot of things to unpack around there too, um, or the fear of not being perfect or what mm-hmm. happens, you know, if, if I've not, the, the whole world's going to fall apart, right. <laughs> so, you know, it, but one of the things I, I was coaching her on is I, I had a client a while ago who was in a very similar situation to you too. And when she finally started taking care of her own mental health and, and part of that too, is focusing on getting out of a toxic work environment and mm-hmm. focusing on a career where she's really going to be happy. One of her, her kids just in passing said, Oh mom, this is so cool. Like now I know I can do whatever, like I can be whatever I want to be. And it's like kept yeah. walking. Right. But like to her that she's like, wow, for so long, I've been modeling the yep. status quo or modeling what it is I thought, you know, what I was taught we should have to be. And then be t- being able to take that ownership and say, Hey, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be authentic. Yeah. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to take care of myself. It then gives permission for other people around you to take care of yourself too. So it's the most, you know, I think being in learning and development, it requires a selflessness, Mm-hmm. Right. I think it, like my mom always says, like it requires like, you to have a servant's heart to really yes. do it and do it well. Um, and to a fault sometimes, right. We're like, we're just serving mm-hmm. and serving and serving, but once the ultimate service we can give other people is to serve ourselves and, you know, Absolutely. to not pour, pour from that empty cup. And so it's just a really beautiful story that in real, not just a story, it's your, your life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that lullaby. No. Um, but, you know, to a really beautiful example is a better word I'm looking mm-hmm. for there around how that shift in taking care of yourself just opened up all these new relationships for you at work, at mm-hmm. your home life and how it, that's what creates the quote unquote perfect life, right? The, yes. the idea of being perfectly imperfect, um, which I actually have tattooed on my hand to remind, to remind myself every perfect. day that that's, that's what we need to be. So I really appreciate you, you sharing that and being, being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's going, I know that's going to hit with a lot of people. I really wanted to, I know there's a lot of topics that we could talk about. And that was one of the ones that I, not being a mother, I always like to kind of poke and prod a little mm-hmm. bit too, because I know a lot of people listening and a lot of my clients too are parents and they're trying to juggle yeah. a career, a career transition at the same time, being present parents too, and feeling that pull to be perfect in all the things. And the beauty really comes from the the work on yourself and, and embracing that imperfection. Absolutely. I have a sticky note on my desk that says, um, your anxiety is lying to you. Um, because I have to constantly remind myself of that, like that, you know, this anxiety to this perfection. And I have a saying with my team that we're not saving babies from the snow. I, doing- I always said, I always say we're not rocket scientists or heart surgeons. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I so- like babies from the snow though. I might borrow that one. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, just kind of grounding yourself back into reality and knowing what matters is so important. And yeah. I think of all the lessons I've learned in my career, that's been the hardest, but the best. But the hardest ones are always, are always the best. <laughs> yes. 
in in your professional opinion, you know, having not even not that it's it, working on our mental health is a journey, yeah. right? There's never a destination, but right. having you know been through this and kind of come out on that on the other side. From a professional perspective, what can L&D and HR do to really encourage the prioritization of mental health for our employees, right? Like, how can we weave that in to what we're already doing? And also, how can L&D make sure that we fill our own mental health cups? Yeah, it's it's so hard. And I, I'm sensing a theme with myself here. Um, so <laughs> vulnerability and honesty um, are the two things that you can practice personally, just to, again, role model for others and encourage other leaders because we're all coaches within our organizations yeah. too, right? So really encouraging creating that environment because then again, employees are going to feel more comfortable showing up authentically and not having to put up that facade. But we talked about change management earlier. So I'll use that as an example. So beyond, you know, doing the typical change management course and talking about the stages of change management, it, figure out a way to maybe explore where each person is and give them the resources where, you know, if they're stuck or if they're really struggling with something, whether it's change management or out, something outside, give them the examples, give them the resources, either your own or others. So they don't feel like they're on their own. Because I think that that door that I just mentioned that was open with my own team was everybody kind of felt like they were on their own island. So provide some additional information, you know, here's how I was really challenged when I experienced this, or, you know, here's how I fell down when I learned this new concept. We hear and see so much within the organization. And as you mentioned, kind of being these servant hearts, um, we have high expectations for ourselves because we feel like the whole organization is looking at us and everything will crumble, you know, if we don't have the right slide or the right talk yep. track. Um, but be realistic, um, create your network. So something that I found really helped me out just on a personal and professional level was having my trusted people. So I have a, a couple women who we've stayed in touch, even though we don't work together anymore. And we could out of the blue, not talk to each other for a month or so, but text each other and say, today sucks. My, you know, I need to vent. I need help. Just create that network where you can go to those people and just vent and be able to have your own cup filled a bit. Um, yeah. so that's, that was a huge real realization for me over the past couple of months. Yeah. We can't, we can't pour from that empty cup. And one thing that you said that really, really just struck me that I don't think we do enough in L and D is talk about going back to failures, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about the failures and the challenges. So yeah. I think back to a lot of learning I've created, a lot of learning I've seen, a lot of learning I've you know, learned from, and we're often shown best practices yeah. and here's someone who did it well. And like, we're shown like the, the Instagram highlight reel of that specific <laughs> topic, but no one's really showing like the behind the scenes of like, in order for Bob to have uh, talked to that customer this way, Bob failed at 50 different customer yes. conversations <laughs> and got a one-star rating on Yelp. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, Bob, they went to Bob's regional manager to say that Bob was the worst <laughs> communicator, right? Like we never, like, we don't talk about that. And I think that could be an area of opportunity for us to think about mm -hmm. going back to that perfectionism. And if we're 
if we're just saying, you know, here's Bob and he did this and that's amazing. Like then the people who are learning think like, oh, well, I, okay, I have to be like that. I have to be amazing, but we don't talk about what, what got Bob there. And so it sounds like there's a big opportunity for L and D when we think about caring for people's mental health mm -hmm. is being realistic. I think yeah. you said that word, right? Being realistic. Like you're not going to go tomorrow and be able to have this amazing conversation with a really angry customer that oh. that's going to take you maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 tries. I know for me, I was in customer service and sales for a long time. I wasn't yep. good at it on day one. I no. made a lot of mistakes, but I think now to, to like training about it, right. Yep. I, I talked a lot about how I did well and different conversations I had versus like, wow, that first time I, you know, showed an apartment, I, you know, there, I, you know, slammed the door in someone's face, right. Like, <laughs> you know, whatever that may be. So I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of people listening, whether they're new to L and D or mm -hmm. they're, you know, tenured in, in being an L and D can really take that piece and say, Hey, how can I be more, how can I be more relatable and how yeah. can I be more realistic when I'm creating these things? It's not just the highlight reel. Um, I really hope people take that away because it made me think about what I've done and how I you know, train. Mm -hmm. And so I'm having a whole <laughs> life crisis right now, whole identity crisis right now, but in, in, in the best way possible, because there's definitely some failures on my part as I think back to things that I've, I've made or, or designed mm -hmm. that could have been more realistic too. So I really appreciate that perspective. Yeah. I think something that I like to do, especially for leadership development, um, is give an example of here's where I've done it wrong, or here's where I've seen a leader do it wrong. Let's talk through this example and even talk to, you know, ask them, okay, so what would you have done differently? You know, knowing that this didn't end well and just kind of having them think through it and then going into a, okay, let's talk about best practice. Let's talk about a time it went really well. Yeah, no, I love that. And for you, I mean, you talked, you are a leader, you've been a leader for a while. What would you say is your number one piece of advice, a career advice? So having mm -hmm. had this beautiful career um, of wonderful twists and turns, <laughs> uh, what would you say is your number one piece of career advice for other L&D leaders and your advice for people who are exploring a career in L&D for the first time? Yeah, so I, I, I feel like we've continually brought this up, but for leaders, that vulnerability, so the yeah. willingness to just be open with your team to try to do things differently and tell them when you land on your face, you know, I, something, I forget what I, I don't even remember all my mistakes, but I did something and I scheduled a quick 15 minute check-in because I wanted to make sure that I highlighted it for my team and said, this is what I learned, learn from my mistakes, go make your own. Yeah. Um, so be open about it, be creative, be willing to push boundaries and for both the seasoned folks and those who are newer to L&D or really any professional, build that village. So make sure that you connect with someone you admire. You connect with people within the business. You connect with people outside, um, maybe in an industry that you're interested in, HR business partners within your organization, and that you have that trusted peer or colleague, whether it's inside your organization or outside, where you can go and say, okay, I just totally messed this up, or I'm having a really bad day. I just need to talk about this. And it's not just talking to these people once, keep those relationships going. You know, whether you see an article that you think is interesting, send it over to them, you know, keep these connections alive because you're going to learn from them. And this is where you're going to get your next role. 
um, because you create those relationships, you're going to be front of mind for these individuals when they see that next opening. And that's really what's worked so well for me um, and moving throughout my career. I love that. Okay. One question I ask every single person who comes yes. on the show, okay. what is one thing that you, speaking of filling our own cups, yes. right, what is one <laughs> thing that you are currently learning right now? Oh my gosh. It's like, what am I not learning? Um, <laughs> other than like a true, like a true LD professional. Right? Um, I'm trying to figure out Snapchat because that's what my oh. kids communicate with. So I, I should have mentioned earlier. So I have a son who's 17 and a daughter who's 14. So trying to figure that out. Um, I'm also trying to learn how to set habits. Like hmm. I love to sleep in. I'm trying to like, you know, teach myself to get up at the same time every day and just set those intentional habits. Um, so those are some of the current things I love that. <laughs> for today I love that I'm that. working on. I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast episode on, on setting habits and things like that too. So, um, sure. I'm excited, I'm excited <laughs> to check, to check back in with you and we can do a, 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 in a couple months from now, we can check back in on your habits. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and now I'm totally can... accountable. I'm yeah. going to do it. <laughs> we can do a whole episode on how you stuck to your habit of waking up a little bit earlier. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, totally, no pressure. <laughs> totally going to do it now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Meredith, where can people find you connect with you? I'm sure after listening uh, to this episode, they're going to be as in love with you as I am. Aww, and they're going to want to know all about you and be all up in your thing. So where <laughs> can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Where do you want the, to send them to? Yeah. So if you go to my LinkedIn, just send me a note and let me know that, um, you heard, or we met, you know, um, through this podcast and I'm happy to connect and you you know, introduce you to my connections, answer questions. And of course, you know, you can go to WorkRamp and check out our platform um, and you can reach out to me through hr at workramp.com. I love it. Can you tell us a little bit about WorkRamp too? Because I think yeah. people listening would also like, like that, that it's obviously <laughs> the, the audience for it too. So I'd love to yeah. hear a little bit more about that too. I know. So it, it was totally a great, totally for re referral where, um, I had the opportunity to interview for this position as the vice president of people and culture at WorkRamp, And it was like the perfect match because WorkRamp is a learning management platform. And here I love learning and development. I love HR. I was like, these are all the things. And, you know, it was, it was a huge added bonus that of course I had to look at the product first. I'm like, I'm not going to go work for something that I wouldn't yeah, actually you wouldn't use. use. Yeah. So that's what they always say on Shark Tank. Like, I love it, but I wouldn't use it. Exactly. So <laughs> like if I, this is not for me, but um, fortunately it's an amazing platform. So um, I've had the opportunity, of course, to come in and kind of, I didn't want anybody to teach it to me. So I taught it to myself and super user-friendly platform where you can create your own content. There's pre-built content, learning paths, libraries. There's just so much that you can do with it. And we're, we're exploring different things. So have you, um, heard of folks doing like user guides for themselves, you know, how mm -hmm. best to communicate with me and different things of that nature. So that's something that we're exploring is everybody creating their own user guide. That way, that. if you're meeting with somebody, you know, from a different part of the organization whom you don't know, you can check out their user guide and learn, learn a little bit more about them. So I just Love think that. there's lots of fun, creative ways that we can all use learning management systems to kind of help us get to know each other in this new remote hybrid type world. So check it out. It's a great tool. Yeah. 
I'll put the link to work I'll put all the links to connect with you, your email, cool. all that fun stuff in the show notes too. So Meredith, this was so fun. I feel like we've known each other forever. Um, <laughs> Let's talk again uh, soon. I'm going to miss you after this. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> kindred spirits, but thank you so much yes. for coming on. I know, I know I took so much away from our conversation. I can only imagine what everyone listening is taking away too, which by the way, feel free to let us know. Uh, you can email us, you know, yeah. DM us on LinkedIn, post on LinkedIn, let us know what your takeaways were from this episode. But Meredith, I appreciate you so much for coming on. I know it's, well, it's definitely not the last time because we're going to meet and talk about your habits, but <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I know it's not going to be the last time we, we have you on the show. So thank you so much for joining. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you to all the listeners out there as well. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.